0: Hello there, and welcome to our Sardis Fellowship sermon podcast. My name is Richard Frankowitz, and I'm the Youth Director here
1: at Sardis Fellowship. To find info on our speaker and series, please check the podcast
0: description. Thanks for listening, and enjoy!
1: Uh, If if you've been with us for the last few weeks, you know that we're in a sermon series that we've called Spiritual Health Check, because we start a new year, and it's good to kind of just stop and kind of look at various aspects of our life and our faith and where those two intersect. And so today we're looking at me and my community. And, uh, and so we have, as has been mentioned, Ruth and Naomi's mission that's going to share in just a moment. Um, Jesus had a lot to say about living in community. And he challenged uh, the people of his day about their attitudes and their actions around that. He spoke often of those who might be overlooked in society. And I don't think that that has changed too much in our day and age either. Uh, But it's the people who are marginalized, the poor, the sick, the foreigner, the widow. And I think that there's something um, that Jesus was challenging the people of his day with, that he still challenges us with, that if we don't think rightly about this, then we're probably missing how to think rightly about God in our own relationship with him. Because the way in which we treat other people is in direct proportion to the way we understand how God has treated us. And if we are honest, each and every one of us know That it was the mercy of God and the compassion of God that he reached down to touch our lives. And it's out of that that comes the extension to show mercy and compassion to others. And Jesus modeled that compassion. Uh, To the least of these was language that he used um, in his day to challenge his followers of what it meant to follow him sincerely, which was to care for the least of these. But if we're honest, it's hard to do, right? 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 I mean, sometimes we can find a situation that we put our hand to and we go, okay, that wasn't too bad. But when we look at the overall scenario, it can feel overwhelming. And then I think sometimes we can feel discouraged and then sometimes I think our attitude goes south with that. And that's why we've invited Scott Gallardi back. He was here a year ago and um, did an excellent job helping us understand more of the work of Ruth and Naomi's mission. More of that in a moment. Um, a little bit of context. Sardis Fellowship has a vision statement where two key words pop out in this vision statement as to why we're talking about this today. To be a community centered in Christ, empowered by the Spirit to the glory of God, as a loving and just, those are the two words that are coming off the page at me, as a loving and just transformative presence in our local community and world. Okay, so local community, Ruth and Naomi's. Our world, Japan. We're trying to be used of God to be a transformative presence in our world. Loving and just. Loving means we care. Just, well, that's caring for the ones that need to be remembered. The poor, the sick, the foreigner, the widow, and on and on. This lines up with some of our values, and one in particular that our leadership team has been working through five different core values of our church. We'll talk about those another day, but the one value that stands out is this one. Outreach. And we put this tagline, being a good neighbor. Now, I highlighted Luke 10. Uh, These scripture references back up the value that we have. Does anyone know which story Jesus told in Luke 10 that might tie into being a good neighbor? Yeah, you can shout it out. Oh, you good Sunday school students. The Good Samaritan. It's a well-known story, the Good Samaritan, right? Uh, I think it's well-known for most of us. Um, It's recorded in Luke chapter 10, but there's a bit of a context to this, and I just want to share this to set up. Ruth and Naomi's coming to share. An expert in the law comes to Jesus, and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And uh, Jesus said, well, what does the law say? You know, you're an expert in the law. You tell me kind of a thing. And so the guy rattles off an amazing answer. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. And the second command, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, you have answered correctly. Go and do it, and you will live. The man's kind of like, time out here. Um... Because that's a pretty tall order. Love your neighbor as yourself. Okay. Well, which one? I got one on my right. I got one on my left. So, which neighbor, Lord? Oh, both. Oh, okay. Um, The guy across the street too. (laughs) So he asked this question: Who is my neighbor? (laughs) Great question. So Jesus, love your neighbor as yourself. Who's my neighbor? And then Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan, which I'm hoping you know the gist of it. There was a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan. Sounds like a bar joke, but it's not. (laughs) Jesus talks about these three individuals, two of which have a religious position within Israel, and they ignore this man who's, you know, beat up and thrown in the ditch. But along comes a Samaritan who's from outside of Jerusalem, and he's not very popular in Jerusalem, but that Samaritan takes care of the man. That's the gist of the story. At the end of the story that Jesus tells uh, to this man, he he says to this expert in the law, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man? The man answers, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus says, go and do likewise. You know, I think that's such a profound, powerful story because I am the expert in the law that's trying to find some way to justify myself or get me off on a technicality. And Jesus comes along and says, well, let me tell you a story. There's three people. Only one of them does the right thing. Who do you think is acting like a neighbor? And that guy knows who it is. And then he says, good, go and do likewise. And you know, I have to revisit this message of compassion and caring on an ongoing ongoing, um, time frame. Or else I can become hardened in my heart and my attitude, as I've already said, can go south. And so I've invited um, Scott Gallardi to come and share. You might have heard Ruth and Naomi's mission mentioned a lot around here because after he shared with us a year ago, we got people that start signing up to serve a meal there on the second Monday of the month. And many of you have been doing that very regularly. And then just before Christmas, Daniel Locke, our 16-year-old student, stood up here and said, hey man, I have a passion in my heart. I want to support Ruth and Naomi's mission because I really want to help those people that are in need. And, And so we rallied to that and we put up the giving tree and you brought out non-perishable food items that could be taken down to Ruth and Naomi's, put into hampers, and then a group of us went down and passed them out to people. It was really cool. This is the Ruth and Naomi's mission that we often talk about. And if you're not a part of this, you can pray always. Your money goes, when you give to our our regular offering or any of these projects, it goes to supporting them. But you can also serve. There are avenues for that. And if we have more people that want to serve a meal, we can take two Mondays in a month. We don't just have to take one. And so I've invited Scott to come back to share um, a bit with us about the mission, what's been going on the last year. Come on up, Scott. Uh, You're not a stranger to us, but we would like to welcome you here this morning. So thank you for coming and joining us. Scott has told me that he injured his back yesterday, so he's walking like a pretzel. Um, Hopefully you can lean on this very sturdy stand. It'll be
0: perfect. All right, God bless you. Thank you. Thank you very much. I uh, thank you for the opportunity to be here again. I was about a year ago, I had the chance to be here for the first time, and um, it was Bagel Sunday, so somehow I missed out on the invite for Bagel Sunday this year, but I'm glad to be here again and talk to you, um, and to say thank you. Uh, Pastor Rod mentioned some of the different ways you are involved in the life of caring for some of Chilliwack's most vulnerable through the Naomi's. That meal team that comes regularly, thank you very, very much, we appreciate that. Dr. Isabel Chennai is helping us in, in, in the dental advisory committee to launch a non-for-profit dental clinic so we can just continue to put smiles on people some people who have kind of less than um, less than stellar dental health care, and it can affect more than just the smile on their face, but it can affect their health and lots of different things, so she's involved with that. And then, as was mentioned, Daniel and Selena, and that uh, December the 20th was an amazing day in the lobby of our Family Center. There was just snacks and people and goodies, and your pastors were there, and it just made a huge deposit of encouragement and joy in the Family Center. Uh, Certainly, the, the, the tangibles that were delivered always are appreciated. But even greater than that, those tangibles represent a connection to a community, to being seen, to being partnered with, and so we just appreciate that so much. And your value as a church to outreach and to care for our neighbors, uh, well done. Kudos to you in walking out the instructions of Jesus. Let me just, I'll mention this a little later on when I get there, but let me just tell you of an increase in people, in your neighbors over the last couple of years. Um, every three years, uh, we go through, the or, um, provincial government goes through, it's called a point in time count and over a 24-hour period uh, organizations like ours and other service providers in each city in bc just go and there's a survey done and we count the number of people experiencing homelessness that are in our city well in 2020 that was done and the number came out to about 306. Uh, it was done in 2023 and we just got the numbers late last fall and it is about 413 so a 35% increase which represents an increase in uh, just challenge in caring for people and services but it also represents an increase in opportunity for more neighbors more neighbors for us to say we will love them with the love of Jesus we will care for them and i want to commend you for the work that you're doing so this morning Uh, Over the next couple of minutes, what I'd like to do is tell you a little bit more about Ruth and Naomi's, tell you a little bit about who we are and what we're doing and some opportunities for you to continue to engage. But before we get there, I'd like to back up a little bit and start with why. Why it is we do this, why it is we step into some of the situations we step in and why we get to step in together as we are a Jesus-centered, Christian, faith-based organization, and so our why always goes back to Jesus. We start with Jesus, what he modeled, what he invited us to, what he called us to, the encouragement and example he set for us, and how we can live that out. Uh, in Matthew chapter 25, uh, Jesus is talking about the end of the age, and he makes a statement that is really quite provocative as we stop to consider it. Now, I'm going to see if I get this right here. If not, there we go. Ah, there we go. Fantastic. The one with, uh, that's clearly marked hit that one. That's the one I need to click. It's perfect. I'll get it. There we go. Might be more than my back that's ailing me this morning. But anyways. But in Matthew 25, Jesus says this. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, And you visited me. Jesus lets us in, kind of peels back the curtain, if you will, and lets us in on how important caring for the vulnerable, the oppressed, the marginalized is to him. Somehow, how we care for the vulnerable around us factors into our eternity. I'm going to leave that up to someone with a much higher pay grade than me, but Jesus makes it clear that caring for the vulnerable, the oppressed, the marginalized, the poor, the needy, is not in any way a periphery issue that would strike the fancy of some and perhaps not others. But Jesus says this is a key part, a key characteristic, a key value, a key priority of being a follower of mine. How we care for the least fortunate among us somehow factors in to our eternity. The next chapter, just after that, gee, there's another incident that takes place that seems to add an exclamation point to what Jesus is saying here. This is the incident where Jesus is in a home with his disciples, and a woman comes and she anoints his feet with this incredibly expensive perfume in this alabaster jar. And here's this story as it says, Meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy. While he was eating, a woman, with, in a, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume and poured it over his head. The disciples were indignant when they saw this. What a waste. It could have been sold for a high price and the money given to the poor. Someone's advocating for incredible generosity and charity. You'd think that would get the applause of Jesus. Because someone— Imagine that if someone said, we've got all this money. Why don't we just be incredibly generous to the poor? Some commentators say that the price, the value of that jar of perfume was about a year's wages. So we're talking a fairly significant, you know, charitable contribution. And the disciples kind of suggest that. You know, instead of this act of devotion or worship, why don't we just generously give to the poor? Because Jesus... We know, we just heard what you said, we know you have a heart for the poor. We know you call us to be involved in the poor. So Jesus, why shouldn't we be very charitable in caring for the poor? To which Jesus replies. But Jesus, aware of this, replied, why criticize this woman for doing such a good thing? You'll always have the poor among you, but you won't always have me. This woman participates in this incredibly generous act of worship or devotion towards Jesus. And the disciples, the onlookers, criticize her, saying, this could have been used for charity, to care for the poor. And Jesus, in his response, seems to almost chastise them for their advocacy for the poor. He says, the poor you're always going to have with you. And, and, and some take this to say almost, you know, like, why bother to get that involved? Why bother to give that much? Because there's just always going to be less fortunate around you. I help out, of course. Do what you can, of course. But you just need to know. There's always going to be less fortunate. There's always going to be the vulnerable. There's always going to be the marginalized. And so while charitable acts are good... In some way, maybe we just need to learn to live with it. Just need to come to some kind of acceptance that when you go downtown Chilliwack and visit 1881 in all of its beauty, that some of the people that make their home on the street, that's just a way of life. And we just need to learn to live with it. It kind of almost sounds like Jesus is saying that in response to the disciples' criticism and suggestion of charity. But in his statement, the poor you will always have with you, what Jesus is actually doing is he's quoting a scripture that these Jewish young men would have known incredibly well. He's quoting a scripture, the opening lines of a scripture in Deuteronomy 15. And for these Jewish young men who studied the scriptures, memorized them, they would have immediately known what he was alluding to some of us may not, but what Jesus was saying, he's alluding, and it's in Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 11, and this is the statement that it says, there will always be poor in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed with the poor and other Israelites in need. So, when the disciples kind of Criticize this woman and suggest charity to Jesus. Jesus says, the poor you will always have with you. And it kind of alludes to Deuteronomy 15, which in that verse that we just looked at, says, I want you to be generous. I want you to be open-handed. The biblical response to poverty is open-handedness. The persistence of poverty or vulnerable or marginalized or oppressed people around us is not a reason to ignore the plight of them, but it is to draw near them with more than charity. With more than generosity, but to draw near them with to draw near to them in solidarity. We won't take the time this morning, but what's more amazing when you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 15, the the chapter that Jesus, or the passage, they didn't have chapters at that time, the passage that Jesus was referencing when he's in response to them. Deuteronomy 15, the whole chapter is where we get instructions on ordering a society around caring for the vulnerable. It's where we get the instructions on working to eradicate debt. Just get rid of it. The year of Jubilee and and how we re- and land and returning land to people and making sure that people have security and safety and where they can kind of put down roots. It's all in there. And so, what Jesus is doing when this woman comes in with this perfume and kind of anoints him, and the disciples with kind of indignancy say, We could have done charitable work with this. Jesus defends her act of worship and devotion and draws their attention back to the scriptures in Deuteronomy, which show us that as followers of Jesus, we're called to far more than charity. Charity is wonderful. Thank the Lord for charity, thank the Lord for generosity. But again, and I saw it, Pastor Rod mention it. It's one, one of your values, love and justice. See, what we're called to is justice. That's what Jesus says in response to the disciples' suggestion of, why don't we be generously charitable? And Jesus says, well, there's so much more. I'm calling you to justice. I'm calling you to be involved in reorienting society for the welfare of all to put into place structures and systems and policies where debt would be eradicated, where people would have places of security, where people would be cared for, when even when some of the worst choices are made and they almost uh, kind of indenture themselves to things, that society would work to see them restored from things that they have chosen to enslave or indenture themselves to. Deuteronomy 15 gives us a beautiful picture of what the people of God are called to, And so what Jesus says to his disciples then in that instance and to us today is, when Jesus has called us to love and justice, please let us never settle for charity. Let's be involved in charity, absolutely. Thank the Lord for charity. But he calls us to more. Jesus invites his followers then and his followers today to a life that stands in solidarity with the vulnerable and the marginalized, and we work together for justice. Our neighbors to the south on Monday celebrated Martin Luther King Day and in his life as he advocated for justice. This was one of the statements he made. Any religion that professes to be concerned about the souls of men and is not concerned about the slums that damn them, the economic conditions that strangle them, and the social conditions that cripple them, is a spiritually moribund religion awaiting burial. This is why we do what we do. This is why we do what we do. Because Jesus modeled it. Jesus called us to it. Jesus advocated for it. And Jesus shows us that somehow it factors into our eternity. And so we join him in his good work of restoring all things. He's amongst the poor. He's amongst the vulnerable. He's amongst the marginalized. He's in the slums, if you will. And from there, he calls us to join him. And you're doing that, and so many other churches in Chilliwack are doing that, and I want to say thank you. But before I tell you about who we are and some of the things we're doing, I wanted to make sure we land this in the person of Jesus because that is where we get our why. Why? Because Jesus did it and calls us as his followers to do the same. Who we are as an organization, we spent uh, last year taking some time to go through and clarify what our values are. Again, we look to the person of Jesus. What are our values? What What should shape our decisions, shape our actions, shape the priorities we lean into, the things that we would say yes to, but also the things that we would then be able to say no to. And so the purpose statement that we came up there is walking alongside people on a journey of recovery, demonstrating the love of Jesus. And and I think that just so perfectly models Jesus. Because all the wonderful restoration that he's doing in our lives, he does it from the vantage point of someone who walks with us. His great invitation to follow him is an invitation into relationship. And from a place of loving relationship, grace-filled, mercy-filled, forgiveness-extended relationship, Jesus walks with us in our journey of recovery, in our journey of restoration, in our journey of becoming more like the sons and daughters he's created us and called us to be. And so was an organization... We count it a distinct privilege to be able to say we would try with his grace and with his strength and by his spirit's power to do the same. To walk alongside people on a journey of recovery and in doing so, demonstrating the love of Jesus. Some of the values that shape us there is grace. Again, We've received grace. We believe in second chances. The journey of recovery is never this starts this linear journey starts here, heads forward continually, and ends there. It's this winding thing, almost like snakes and ladders. The game you kind of you're making really good progress, and then something happens, and you're back here. And you're like, what? Well, in the same way, that's part of the game of snakes and ladders. It wouldn't be the same game without those descents back down to the beginning. And it's not a game, but that is the journey of recovery. One, two, three, four steps forward, three steps back. Two, three, four, five steps forward, three steps back. And it's different for everybody. And what happens in those steps forward and those steps back is the person who's walking in recovery looks furtively to the left and the right to see if the people who've said they would walk with them will continue to walk with them. And we'll do our best by his spirit's power to model that of grace where we believe in second chances, hope we won't give up. Some of the people we serve have given up. Some of the people we serve have consigned themselves to the fact that this is life. Life in a shelter, life in addiction, life in a broken relationship, life with dreams that just sit on a shelf and will never be realized but with the hope that we find in Jesus and the deposit of hope that he puts in our hearts, we come alongside and we just say, we're just gonna keep believing. Recovery is possible for everybody. There isn't a person we would see that's uh, possible for everybody but him, possible for everybody but her. Generations entrenched, trauma-filled, we believe that the transforming power of Jesus can recover, anyone can recover. Doesn't mean it's easy, doesn't mean it's one, two, three, but it's a journey of people walking alongside their people. We want to see the value in everybody. Again, we get this as followers of Jesus. Every single person, regardless of what they contribute or take from society, bears the image of our creator, made in the image of God and bearing unsurpassable worth, regardless of the status or situation they would ever find themselves in regardless of the value that they may think they have we see the value because they bore, they bear the image of our creator and so that we say we want to see the value in people curiosity we're eager to learn we're eager to learn to recognize you know what every person we get to serve nobody nobody's born into this world and says oh I hope I end up on the street I hope I end up caught in addiction I hope, I hope my life is, you know, torn asunder with trauma. No, no one. But we see them as we meet them in the spaces that we meet them, and sometimes it doesn't look that pretty. But curiosity says there's a story behind this situation. There's a story behind these reactions. There's a story behind these actions. There's a mother, there's a father, or an absentee. Or there's, and let's begin to find out the story behind the person. The story behind the action. Trust, we do what we say. We do what we say. We serve a constituent of, constituency of people where trust tends to be at an all-time low. Lots of different situations in life they just don't trust. And can you imagine how you would respond if someone you didn't know very well and you didn't trust very much came up to you and just gave you advice for life. You should do this with your life. Again, I won't ask for a show of hands, but I would hope that none would go up because we don't tend to work that way. A trusted friend, a trusted advisor, someone who we've seen bore up, well, this is a trustworthy person, then we're a little more willing to take some life advice. And so before we can be directive to too many people in too many places, we recognize that we just need to walk alongside people for a little while and allow them to know that we'll do what we say, that we'll show up when we say we'll show up and we'll care for them as best we can as we said we have and slowly allow trust and relationship and connection to be formed And then from that place, doors tend to open, not immediately, it's not a formula, where we have the privilege of saying, have you ever thought about, what would you think about, and we get to be suggestive, not prescriptive or directive, but to be suggestive in in encouraging people to do things. And finally, our last value is partnership. And again, this is an expression of it this morning. We stand alongside local churches in Chilliwack, together representing the body of Christ, carrying out the work of Jesus. We couldn't do what we do. We need meal teams. We need people who will pray. And, and that, those are business teams, sports teams, local churches, you name it, as we walk together in partnership. And again, thank you for the opportunity to be here. And to, above other things, simply say thank you for your partnership in together, representing Jesus to Chilliwack, so that people would see and be transformed by his love. So that's a little bit about who we are. Let me just take the next couple minutes and tell you about some of the things we're involved in. Ruth and Naomi's is 22 years old, thereabouts. Um, I've asked some to say, you know, 2001, some say 2000, some say 2002, and so it, it's, it's about that old. And it was started by a couple, Ted and Ann Stoker who saw people who were vulnerable, marginalized, and in need. And their heart was gripped, and there was a conviction that we could care for them. And they began handing out sandwiches from the back of their car around five corners. And other people heard about this and got involved, and groups were formed, and it just began to be formalized till over the years now, 22-ish years later, we find ourselves serving about 350 people a day serving and supporting in, in housing, and recovery programs, uh, and in shelters. And we have three different facilities, our community outreach centers, the facility on Margaret Avenue, where those of you who've served on the meal team and have been there. This particular season, that is ground zero for us. Uh, it's always ground zero in a sense, that's where we meet people at, but the winter is the most challenging. Um, on most nights, we will provide shelter for about 120 people, as we've been through some of these cold stretches. And right now, it goes up to about 200, as we open up other spaces. And we just—it's—it's um, it's too dangerous to be outside. Nobody gets turned away. So about 200 people thereabouts. It fluctuates a little bit. We'll come and make sure that they find shelter. And again, as I mentioned, when I started um, three years ago, there were, by some counts, about 306 people experiencing homelessness in Chilliwack. That has gone up by 35%. um, And I guess you could look at lots of different reasons for that. Some would say, well, there's lots of great services in Chilliwack, which there are, and so it attracts people. There's also lots of great affluence in Chilliwack. Affluence tends to attract people as it does. People say, that's a great city to live in, and so it draws people. And so while we can be thankful for some of the affluence and prosperity that our city um, is experiencing, we can also know that just part of that, this is just a societal issue, these are some of the challenges that come along with that affluence. But while I can say we, we serve about 400 meals every day, we have 200 people overnight at the shelter, um, there's lots of different numbers that we can give you, and, and if you're interested, we're happy to, at the end of the service, be at the table back there and give you some numbers. But every number is a person. And more than just trying to have 200 beds where people can come in or this many meals, we want to do everything we can in community and draw people into community. And at the shelter, that, on our community outreach center, there's a community that gets formed there. Now it's gonna look very different than the community that your home group would look like or the community that's formed here. But there is a connection and a safety and an encouragement and a fellowship that it gets formed there. Uh, in December, one of the individuals that we were supporting passed away with cancer. And so we organized a memorial service of sorts in the dining hall of the outreach center and took time to remember this individual, and we had an open mic of sorts. And uh, several different individuals who are also receiving support at our shelter just got up and shared the impact of this individual on their life. How he had provided protection in some cases. How he provided encouragement in some cases. How he'd shared and been kind in other cases. And it was amazing. Again, we could say, oh, this, the, the number is this, the number is this, the number is this. But it was a great reminder as I sat there. These are people. This is somebody's son, somebody's daughter, and they're drawing them into community as Jesus draws us into community so that in community as we walk together, his love can have that continuing, transforming work in our lives. So that's the Community Outreach Centre. We also have our Oasis Recovery Program, which is a bed-based recovery program for men and women, separate programs where they can stay for up to two years. Currently, we have space for 20 men and eight women. Um, They're both not quite full, but almost there, and they kind of bump around there. And we have an initiative this year where we're trying, or the next two years, to increase the number of recovery spaces by 40%, or 50%, sorry. We just say we need, there needs to be more opportunities for people to walk into recovery, and so that is taking place. And then at the interchange, used to be the travel lodge. Uh, Travel Lodge and the IHOP, that is our interchange, that, uh, that's the facility that houses our men's recovery program, but it's also 59 individuals, and some of them with their pets, that live there in, uh, it's supportive housing, so there's four case managers that work there, and lots of different supportive services and programming, but they could live there for the rest of their lives, that could be their you know, their home, That's, that's up. there's no length of stay on that, uh, as we walk with them, and some of the recovery uh, is the recovery of relationships, as we see families major relationships stored. Some of the recovery is health issues, as just a secure place to live and nutritious meals to eat and some of the different things on, on exercise or recreation. We see this, there's lots of different recovery, there's Bible studies, there's chapel, there's different things that go on. We say let's walk with people as we go through there. And then there's our family center, which is where Selena makes sure the place runs smoothly and supportive services. And uh, Daniel and your church was there on December 20th where there's 36 apartments. Again, it's more than just housing. It's a community and there are supportive services where how do we walk alongside people? And so there's all kinds of other uh, programs that take place as we say here. This is why we do what we do. This is some of the values of who we are. And here's just a quick rundown of what. But let me just share one story in closing. Just before Christmas, I was coming into the family center in the morning for work. That's where our offices were. And one of our residents was making their way in the door with a small cart, dragging a small cart uh, that had kind of a bunch of Christmas gifts, what looked like Christmas gifts, on them. And so I just commented, whoa, look at that. Looks like it's going to be a great Christmas. And they responded that these were gifts that a family member had given to this resident so that they could give to their child. I said, oh, that's fantastic. And when then what the resident said was, these, well, she said, these gifts are for my child. I've already got my Christmas gift. I have a house this Christmas. Last Christmas, I was homeless, and I didn't have the security to provide things for my child. And this Christmas, I have a secure place to live and, a commun- and, and so I just thought, wow, that's what we together get to do. Seeing people move forward in life, move forward in their relationship with Jesus. And so again, I want to thank you that Jesus invites us to be generous. Jesus invites us to participate in charity. But Jesus calls us to go even further than that, to love our neighbor and to be involved in justice, joining him in all things. Again, at the end of the service, I'll be at the table at the back in your lobby if you'd like more information about Ruth and Naomi's, what we do, how you can get involved, how you can pray. I would love to chat with you more about that. But again, I just invite Pastor Rod to come. I just simply want to say thank you. Thank you for standing, that we get to stand alongside each other and walk with people and represent Jesus to our city. So thanks.
1: Stay here. I'm going to pray, but I invite the worship team to come up at this uh, time. Um, On Wednesday, you have a chapel. Which place is that chapel at? Uh, Interchange. Interchange. And Pastor Tim Voth is going to be the speaker at your chapel this Wednesday. So you can be praying for Pastor Tim as he goes uh, and shares there. But I want to pray for Ruth and Naomi's and for your work there. If I didn't say it at the beginning, which I know I didn't, Scott is the executive director of Ruth and Naomi's, right? I got that right? Let's pray. Father thank you for um, the early days of uh, the stokers who just felt that they needed to help meet needs and that has grown into this amazing work that is so needed in our day and age. Thank you for everyone that either works at Ruth and Naomi's or volunteers there. I thank you for the board that has to weigh through very hard and heavy decisions. I thank you for Scott's leadership. I thank you for the way in which he has shared with us clearly that the heart The thing that drives it is Christ himself and the love that Christ showed. And that's why this mission is doing what it's doing. I thank you for Selena, who's on staff there and is in our church and works in the family center and oversees that work. Bless her and her role. Lord, we are thankful that we can partner with Ruth and Naomi's. Continue to make us a light in our community that the name of Christ might be known. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to our Sardis Fellowship sermon podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please check out SardisFellowship.com Have a great day and God bless!